Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Average Sean Podcast. Chris, let's waste no time this week. The college football playoff is out. Cincinnati has officially cracked the seal of the group of five. They have gotten into the playoff. They're the four seed. They're going up against Alabama, who shocked many people in this world. Although if you listen to last week's podcast, you'll know that I said that voice in the back of my head was telling me that Nick Saban was going to do it, even though I didn't pick them. And Chris accurately picked the upset and took Bama. So Bama's number one. Uh, Georgia fell to the number three and Michigan surprisingly hasn't fallen off their normal cliff and they're the big 10 champs and the number two seeds. So what was your initial reaction when you saw the, uh, the list come out? I think it's accurate. I mean, uh, to be honest, I was really hoping that Michigan would stay one so that we would get Michigan Cincy in the first round kind of guaranteeing a fresh face in the final, but I mean, I understand, you know, uh, the committee probably wants a, not a probably, the committee definitely wants an SEC rematch in the final. I don't think there's any secret uh, surrounding that, but I will say if that's going to happen, Georgia's going to need to figure out how to score some more points against a legit defense like Bama's. Because not to say that, the, that Georgia's schedule was soft because playing the SEC is not easy, obviously, but they haven't needed a ton of points to win some of their games and that cost them. Um, so happy since he got in, um, you know, it would have been nice to see Oklahoma state slip in um, chaos would have, you know, definitely hit the fan if uh, Notre Dame had gotten in without Brian Kelly, but you know, it's nice to see a group of five get in and uh, you know, we get to see how they, how they stack up. I mean, I know we're not doing picks yet, but do you, do you see Cincy uh, no. holding holding their own against Bama? <laughs> no. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'd, I'd love to say that I do, but they, they struggled against some teams this year that if they really wanted to shut everybody up, they would have beaten the brakes off them. And there were several games that they had where the game was closer than it quote-unquote was supposed to be, especially based on the other team's records and performances throughout the year that I just don't think that they are as well-oiled a machine as they uh, as they should be. And I think that Alabama is hitting their stride at just the right time. So I'm actually going to ask you an inverse question to that and go, do you think that Alabama ran like just a season-long okey-doke on us because they knew that they were just building for the SEC title game? No, I mean, I... I especially a saving coach team. I definitely don't think that they're thinking just, you know, Oh, you know, we can turn it on later in the season. Um, I just think that, you know, their, their one loss came to a well-coached Texas A&M team, you know, a coach that's been around the block or, you know, quite a bit has had a lot of success in a bunch of different stops um, and Jimbo Fisher. So, you know, I think a, a letdown is, is natural. I mean, Georgia had that last week, you know, I know it was against that Bama, but it was still a quality team um, that Bama ended up losing to. Um, I just, uh, it's just, it's so hard to bet against, or just honestly to root against Saban, obviously, you know, it's, you know, tired of the same old song and dance, but he's a freak. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm interesting and not to, to, to shift gears a little bit here, but I'm interested to see how some of the, the coaching moves over the past week 
um, with Brian Kelly going to LSU and now Mario Cristobal going to Miami, how that impacts Bama because Bama's recruiting has largely been from Florida um, because they've been able to tap the, you know, the high level prospects from Florida. But now with Cristobal down there, you have to wonder, is Miami going to start luring them? Um, I'm curious to see, you know, I guess there's really no way to gauge that for maybe two, three years down the line, but um, you could really say that Bama might have some, uh, some challengers now when it comes to recruiting. Oh, they for sure do. I mean, it's, it's eventually going to get difficult for them. If not for the fact that Saban is just getting old. And I mean, at some point he's going to retire. Don't know when that'll be, but he will. Yeah. So that, that in itself will get difficult. Uh, I'm going to jump back to one point you made earlier, a second ago. And actually, no matter what, we are guaranteed a new face in the title game because Georgia has not made it to the title game, as far as I know. I could be totally wrong there, but, you know, I, I think that – and I, I get what you're saying. You're looking for something outside of the SEC as a fresh face, but if we're just going teams on an individual basis, Georgia's new, and Michigan would be, and so would Cincinnati. So – no matter what, again, unless I'm wildly off on this, then we, we've got a fresh face coming in either way. Um, also, jumping to the point about, uh, you know, the coaching carousel and all of that, Miami, what a bunch of scumbags. I, I can't stand the way that they went about this. There's, there's few things in this world that, like, especially in the college football world, that still kind of catch me off guard. And the way that they handled this whole situation was just completely off the walls. Terrible. I just, I don't, I don't understand what was going through their mind of like, you know, Hey, we still have this coach and Manny Diaz who is actively on our payroll and still the head coach of the team. And we're just going to be openly courting this guy from Oregon. And then we give him an ultimatum of you either sign by, you know, this time or we keep the guy that we very clearly don't want to keep. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's, there's a bigger picture issue happening. Um, you know, I, I, yes, I, I agree with that. You know, I would also agree with, you know, what LSU was pretty jacked up, um, you know, especially with Notre Dame still having a shot at the playoff. I just, th there needs to be more control, especially considering the transfer portal and, and whatnot. And now we have this early signing day and that's really what this rush was for was so that you could get Lincoln Riley out in USC. You can get Brian Kelly down in LSU and now Crystal ball down in Miami and everyone's rushing to get them these new coaches to, to possibly lure some, some, you know, commits. And it just, it, it's chaos, you know, let the, the I, I, that's not the, of the crystal ball situation. That's not necessarily what bothered me. It's that his team just lost and you can't even go down with your sinking ship, basically like, you know, have some character and finish the season out with your, you know, with the guys that, that you, you know, you want to battle with week in and week out. Also going to point out one real quick thing. Georgia was in the final in 2017. They lost it in overtime to Alabama, which was, I believe the two a game. Okay, so I did get it wrong. I I assumed that that was just an SEC championship game. I had that, I, no, I remember that. I had a sneaking suspicion that 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 was the case, but again, I just jumped to the conclusion of eh, it's probably another SEC title game. Unless Wikipedia is wrong, uh, I think Wikipedia is probably smarter than me. Um, let me see it. Uh, yeah, they were in it in 2017. They lost 
to they lost to a four seed Bama, twenty six to twenty three. Hmm. So uh, I'll sure. I mean, I, I'm not shocked by it. So I guess everything that I did say about fresh faces, whoops, I was wrong, and now it's recorded. <laughs> oh well, we all make mistakes. I am confused though. Like, uh, this could be a this could be an error. I don't know. They had Bama as a four seed and Georgia as a three seed in the final. How is that human? Well, who is the one and two that year? That that's the real question. That, Ooh, that's a good trivia question. Who who was one and two that year? You said it was what 2017? 2017. Uh, if I had to take a guess, I would say Ohio State. And there wouldn't be a Georgia. Th- did Georgia beat Ohio State to get to the final? Uh, Oh, you know what? Who should be the obvious pick that isn't right now? Clemson. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that – you sure it was 2017, Chris? That's what Wikipedia says. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm taking a look at it now, and unless you're talking about, like, the 2017-18 season, because I just specifically looked up 2017 college football playoff, Alabama absolutely shit-pumped Washington, and that was the year that Clemson – also did the same to Ohio State, and then Clemson beat Alabama in the title game. I that was I 2016. Sounded... This okay. Wiki, Wikipedia has 2017-2018 season with Bama beating Georgia 26 to 23 in overtime. Okay, so that's what threw me off because I specifically looked up the year 2017, not the season. So uh, yes, I I see what you did here. Um, oh, wasn't um, wasn't that Georgia Oklahoma game? No, I don't think that Oklahoma wasn't it that year. I don't think that would have been. Is that the Baker Mayfield year? Yes, it was. Okay, I couldn't remember if that was Mayfield or Murray, but yeah, I remember that game being absolutely nutty, and I, I think Mayfield just like missed a throw or something at the end that cost him the game. I don't know, but I'm glad all that buffoonery was just recorded for both of us. <laughs> absolutely, um, Wikipedia so- is not wrong. Contrary to popular belief. In answer to the question, it was Clemson and Oklahoma. There we go. So I was also off with the Ohio State guess. Go me. (laughs) It's all you win some, you lose some. Well, that was that was a loss. Uh, Speaking of losses, uh, because for everyone who's listening, Chris and I will do a bowl preview next week. uh, As we dive into this, because the bowl games don't start until next week. So we figured, you know, why do one now when we've got a whole week ahead of us and instead stick with what is immediately in front of us and do a bit of a deep dive with uh, more FCS football because we have the round of eight coming up this weekend. And from Barstool uh, was supposed to join us, or at least I, I asked her about doing it. And then she made me aware of the fact that it's her finals week. I realized that that would be incredibly douchey of me to ask her to come on during finals week. So I asked her if she would be okay with pushing the back a week so that way she could focus on her studies. She obviously said yes. So uh, she'll be on next week. But uh, for this week, Chris, uh, I was doing really well on college football betting. And then the FCS came and bit me in the butt because I got brutalized by them last week going down just shy of 10 units. And by comparison, this is sad to say, and I'm not trying to make fun of you, but this was probably your best week in comparison to how I've been doing because you were only down just shy of two units. 
So not great for either of us, but absolutely just god awful for me. Once again, you win some, you lose some. That's why we do this, right? I don't think you would call my losses some. I think that would be a loss of many. Dude, you're you're still up what thirteen on the year? I mean, yeah, sure, but that's a that's a brutal week. So. We're going to dive into the playoff games for that. However, before we get started on those, there is one FBS game that we must talk about. A very important game. We cannot yes. forget this. Because we have the Army-Navy game. We're going to talk about that real quick, and then we will dive into FCS football, get real into the nuts and bolts of that, make our picks there, and that's where you'll have our weekly picks. No FBS stuff because, again, got a whole other week for it, so let's just hold off for a week. So, Army-Navy. Uh, Chris, in years past especially most of the time when you and I were in college, Navy dominated this. However, this year, from what I've seen out of both schools, I get the feeling, or academies, I get the feeling that Army is going to run away with this one. And I know it's a rivalry game. I know it's the kind of game where you kind of just throw out the record books for both teams because it's the kind of game that really does mean that much, sort of like how I thought Baltimore was going to run all over Pittsburgh this past week in football. I don't want to open any fresh wounds for you. But that's the best example I got. So most people would say that this game will be closer than you would expect because of the rivalry between the two of them. I personally don't agree with that. I think Army runs away with it. They're seven and a half point favorites. I'm going to take them to cover that. The over under is set at 35 and a half. And maybe I'm just like overreacting to the past result between Army and Wake Forest, where Army almost put up like 60 and I feel like they could cover that 35 and a half very easily on their own. So I'm hammering the over. I'm going complete opposite. So I would just like to say it's a very important game. Uh, growing up, I had Navy season tickets. Um, never been to an army Navy game. They're very difficult to get, you know, obviously cadets and whatnot get uh, first priority. So I, I grew up in a Navy household, so I'm taking Navy here. I'm also going under just because it is everything you just said. I mean, it's a rivalry game, throw it out the window, and even more so than the Ohio State-Michigan game where you could say that you know Michigan or Ohio State could lose every other game, and as long as they win that rivalry game, then their season is complete. Um, this has way more meaning than that. Um, and so because of that, I'm like I said, I'm taking Navy which I know they're an underdog. Um, I will say, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Ken um, Montanino, oh my gosh, I'm butchering his last name. Their coach, Ken, some I'm not putting that on, 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 on recording. I'm curious to see if they bring him back. Um, obviously, both these schools do run a triple option. And so I think that's where I'm going to go against with, with what you said with Army being able to put up a ton of points, um, their D Navy's defense practices against the triple option. So, um, yeah, taking Navy here, taking the under. I I understand the case for it. I just and again, this this might be still the Wake Forest game sticking in my head because I mean Wake Forest wasn't really known for defense this year, but either way. Well, I'm also – I'm going to cut you off here for a second. I think it's interesting to, to point out this is being played at MetLife, so Old Meadowlands in New York, which is very weird. I believe it's the first time it's ever there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's typically played in Philly because it's a quote unquote halfway point between both service academies. Yeah, a little, um, gi- little give or take there. Yeah, um, I will say, you know, I'm kind of disappointed that it's not in Baltimore. It was here one year, maybe like 15 years ago when we were kids. Um, so, and I, we, I guess, I guess there really is no home field advantage for these schools as long no. as it's played at like a neutral neutral field because you've got army and navy vets literally all across the country exactly and um tickets to this is uh, are not easy to get um i don't want to compare it to the super bowl because obviously that's a hefty price tag but um i mean these are a hefty price tag too just not as grandiose a scale right but it's also a very limited amount because cadets get to go for both sides on top of that, um, high it's it's a lot of higher up Navy and Army, you know, military people. So, um, yeah, I, I, I saw you typing something. Are you looking up tickets? Uh, no. So it's it's one thing that, and this is going to make me sound really dumb on the podcast, but it's one thing where like I've just I've never actually known where the Army West Point campus was. Oh, so I was just trying to take a look uh, look for that up and hopefully not get busted, but my uh, co-host with the eagle eyes has uh, picked up on that and I did not get away with it. Yeah, it's so, like a 45 minutes north of New York City. Well, depending on traffic. <laughs> yeah. So um, God, this, the shape of New York as a state just always throws me for a loop. I, I don't know. It's, it's a random topic to jump to, but just New York City being so much further south compared to like Buffalo and, and I mean, Albany makes sense, but like, I don't know, whenever I picture New York in my head, I always see like New York city and then like Buffalo almost on like a straight line West, just because they say it's Western New York. It's gotta then, be like five hours North. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I mean, it's Northwest for sure. Cause it is Western New York, but it just, I have to remind myself of, Oh yeah, there's a little bit of a wonky shape there. So uh, again, me not sounding the brightest on this podcast. Thanks, it's, Chris. It's all good. I'm I'm sure in the next five minutes I'll look like an idiot. So <laughs> give and take. Uh, well, let's jump to FCS football. And I'm not going to lie. I think that the best game of this weekend is actually likely to be the first game of the weekend. And that's going to be JMU in Montana. So, Chris, I know that you were busy this weekend, and I want to get your take on first. What did you notice between the two teams in their previous round matchups? So I'm just going to give away my pick right here. But um, so Montana uh, ended up beating Eastern Washington. Um, pretty big rival there, uh, both big sky schools. Um, and Montana's defense just absolutely slaughtered um, Eastern Washington's quarterback. Um, and I believe, you know, we're, we're getting in the point of the season where we start having some names pop out. Justin Ford is, uh, he had his ninth interception of the year for a pick six, which is pretty nuts. Um, I know you were watching that game. Um, and it, to me, it just seemed like Montana on both sides of the ball, just really just dominated. Um, and so for that reason, I'm taking Montana over JMU. Obviously, JMU, a powerhouse, JMU playing with the chip on their shoulder because the CAA kind of, you know, said, you know, screw off, you know, why are you leaving us? Um, 
and JMU is the more experienced team here. But I'll tell you what, I was, uh, you know, doing some grocery shopping yesterday and I saw someone wearing a Grizz hat hmm. in the grocery store. And I was like, that's my sign right there. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going with Montana and um, let's see. So Montana to cover, obviously, and I'm going to go. Montana to cover as a seven and a half point dog. Yeah. And I'm going to go with under. Under 46 and a half. Under 46 and a half. I see Montana's defense having to play a huge game. We know JMU has a great defense. Um, JMU's offense also knows how to roll some teams, but I'm, I'm going with momentum here. Um, last week was a big win for Montana. So. so I agree with you with Montana covering, but I definitely think the over is going to hit. And the key to this game is going to be Montana's defensive line because you're right that like the defensive line did own Eastern Washington's offensive line. The strange thing is they very clearly were the dominant force in that matchup and they did make life hell for EW's quarterback. And he still put up 530 yards and five touchdowns. So yes, they brutalized him. But if you look on the stat sheet, it looks like he had his, like just had his way with them. And to me, I'm looking at that going, how does that make sense? Because I was watching the game and I swore like every time I turned around and EW had the ball, there is like one defensive lineman who just looks like some, you know, corn fed middle of nowhere, the kind of put it bluntly white boy uh, who like probably grew up on a farm or something, just loves to play, play football. And he just looks I don't know. He just looks like a defensive lineman that belongs in Montana. He just, he really looks the part and he was really, really good. Couldn't tell you his name because I couldn't keep track of his number, but really good. So if they can dominate the line of scrimmage, I think that, you know, that they have a shot to win the game. Southeastern Louisiana did not do really much in terms of putting pressure on JMU's quarterback. However, they also are a team where defense really just doesn't seem to be a focus of theirs. So I don't think that was a real test for JMU's offensive line. However, if Montana is going to give up that many passing yards to a team that couldn't protect their quarterback worth a damn, if you turn around and JMU can give their quarterback any kind of you know protection, a decent day back there, I think that he can light them up. Because the other concern that I have for Montana is they had 160 yards passing, which isn't really much in this day and age. And I mean, granted, yes, they did spread the ball around some, but they didn't have any rusher go over 100 yards. So nothing to me really about that screams enough to put them over the edge. I think they'll cover. I think it's going to be a very close game because, I mean, they scored in the 50s last round, so they don't have a problem scoring. I just wonder, you know, where is going to be that like place where they can make their mark that pushes them over the edge. And I just haven't found it yet. So give me JMU, give me Montana to cover, but give me the over because, you know, I thought that last week with Southeastern Louisiana, is going to be a track meet. They just weren't a quality enough team to keep up with them. I think Montana is. So I'm going to hammer that over on 46 and a half. Now the next one, this game admittedly kind of ticks me off because I am, Really, really mad that Eastern Tennessee State beat Kennesaw State because they scored 15 points. Not, I, originally, when I texted you, I said it was in the last two minutes. 
But when I went back and watched the highlights of it, I realized that from when they scored their first touchdown to when they scored the next one, yes, it was within the final two minutes of the game, but they did it within about a minute of game time. And because they got probably one of the luckiest offense or not offensive onside kicks to go their way. And Kennesaw just fell apart. I don't, I had them as, you know, the team whose defense traveled. It seems like they got uptight and then Eastern Tennessee state just executed down the, uh, down the stretch of the game to take it. Thankfully, I think that North Dakota state is the kind of team that is just going to absolutely maul them. Uh, I clearly made a big mistake last week in thinking that Southern Illinois can keep up with them. And watching highlights of it, first of all, North Dakota State didn't score a single passing touchdown last week. They just ran the ball and literally just jammed it down their throats. So, you know, they went up 10-0. Southern Illinois scores a touchdown, and they didn't even sniff the end zone after that. This team on the offensive and defensive lines are just absolute monsters. Like, they're the kind of things that nightmares are made out of, not just for opposing teams, but just a general person. Like, you could very easily see the Bison's offensive and defensive line in your nightmares. And I get the feeling that they're going to have a repeat performance and just jam the ball down ETSU's throat. I think that it's not going to be particularly close. I think you could probably call the game by halftime. The spread is 23 and a half. Some of, the, some of this is a bit of an emotional pick because I am mad that ETSU won that game, but I think that NDSU covers the 23 and a half point spread. And I don't think ETSU scores enough for them to push over the 48 and a half. So I'm going to say North Dakota State to win, to cover, but there's not going to be enough points to hit the over. Yeah, you stole, stole the words right out of my mouth. I, you know, we well, got to I go mean, to, hey, I, I have looked like an idiot this podcast, so I got to make a comeback at some point. No, I I mean, everything you said, we, you know, we got to see North Dakota State in person uh, maybe, what, two months ago? And it, yeah, it's everything you said. They're just freaks, just absolute freaks of humans, specifically in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And yeah, the bison, you know, they were just literally able to steamroll last week on the ground. And, you know, they, they threw one interception, no touchdowns. You have to imagine that's not going to happen in back-to-back weeks. Um, you know, they, they play a very run heavy offense to begin with, you know, we got to see that in person and, you know, kind of like the Saban effect, but you know, it's uh, I'm going to keep rolling with them until eventually they prove me wrong. Um I'm taking basically your picks straight up. So Notre Dame, Notre Dame, geez, there you go. There's my turn to look <laughs> like an idiot. Um, North Dakota state to cover and I'm picking the under just because I think it's just good. They're just going to bash the ball down their throats, possess the ball. And I don't see Eastern Tennessee being able to put up many points. So most of those points are going to be through North Dakota states anyway. So at this point we've had a game where I think we could have the game of the weekend the game that ticks me off the most. And then now we're going to have a game that I frankly have no clue what to do with. And that is Villanova versus South Dakota state. When I was talking with Ange last week, I was a little bit nervous that Villanova wouldn't show out enough to, you know, make me comfortable picking them over South Dakota state. And they also didn't show out enough for the odds makers to, you know, think that they'll pull this off because Nova is still playing at home 
it's not a neutral site and they're seven and a half point dogs now keep in mind south dakota state went to sacramento state who last week i called the frauds of fcs and the first half they looked absolutely dominating and in the second half they looked like absolute hot garbage so i don't know what to make of them either at this point you know going back to certain things throughout the season like they had to have a hail mary to beat south dakota Granted, in-state rivalry, that sort of thing, you know, could just happen. But there's there's so much weirdness between these two teams of, like, I don't know what to expect from either of them. You know, I really – I did not give Holy Cross enough credit. I didn't think they were going to give Villanova a game. And I still think in the end it really wasn't much of a game because the score will look close, but you could just kind of tell that Villanova was just going to win almost by default. But – Villanova wasn't overly impressive. I would I would actually call it uninspiring. But the fact that South Dakota State shuts out Sacramento State in the first half, and then they themselves get shut out in the second half and just have to survive that game, that's equally, if not more, unimpressive. So have you noticed anything different? Like what what's your take on this? I mean, so if, you know, a few things. Uh, Nova's defense. Good stuff last week against Holy Cross. Um, I, you know, I think that this game um, for this week is going to be a ton of just pounding. I mean, we're getting in the playoffs. We're we're quarterfinals now, so you could, I guess, we could say we're deep in the playoffs. But um, you know, pounding the ball is, is how you're going to win this game. Um, and Justin Covington went off last week for Nova, um, and I just, I think they're just going to keep relying on him. Um, South Dakota State has two studs in the backfield, but where I'm a little weary is that they are the only unseated team left um, at this point. Um, obviously, they dominated each of their last playoff opponents. Um, it's kind of a coin flip, but I'm going with Nova here. Uh, I'm going to take the over as well, but I'm, I'm going with Nova mainly, you know, going back, you know, whatever, a month and a half to when they put up a very strong showing against Penn State. And I think we're seeing, you know, kind of that that strong will playoff mentality that, you know, they're not going to back down to anybody. And I see Nova winning. Uh, so I am very concerned, as I said. I'm going to take Nova to win, but the quarterback has got to do better than going eight for 22. That is bad. I mean, hey like, now, Max really Jones bad. is smiling somewhere. Okay, well, Nova wasn't playing in the middle of a snow globe while, you know, they were trying to beat Holy Cross. It was a much, much better night that could have been, you know, better suited for somebody who's passing the ball. I'm I'm concerned, but I'm going to take them because they're at home. And I think that there's a little bit of disrespect with the fact that they are a full touchdown underdog. That, I mean, especially with how South Dakota State looked in that second half, I just don't get it. Like, I really don't. So, you know, I think that Nova comes out and I think they have a repeat of their game against JMU where South Dakota State is the favorite and maybe rightfully so, but I think that Nova just puts it together. And I know I'm going super chalk this weekend, but give me Nova. You know, I think they're going to take them down and move on to the next round. And they'll play the winner of, I believe it's Sam Houston. Yeah, it'll be Sam Houston State and Montana State because uh, JMU and North Dakota State are on the other side of the bracket. 
So let's move to Sam Houston State. And they got one hell of a scare last week against the University of whose name I will always forget, a.k.a. the University of Incarnate Word. Um, I Bravo probably, to them, by the way. Great yeah, season. I, really, I should put, on, put some more respect on their name. I'm just not going to. So I just if anyone from there ever listens to this, just know that I say that I should put more respect on your name. I'm just not going to do it. So they they had Sam Houston on the ropes. I, I don't know if this is going to serve as a wake up call for the Bearcats, but they need to wake up. I mean, they almost got knocked out in their first game of the playoffs after winning the title last year. And if there's any way that you want to make your title look like a Mickey Mouse title from a pandemic is that when fans are back, get beaten in the first round, or at least the first round that you play in. So with that in mind, I noticed a few things when I was watching these teams. Sam Houston State's passing defense was getting carved up by Incarnate Word. However, Montana State's quarterback, who is taking over after their starter entered the transfer portal, as I notoriously found out while talking with Ange last week, he honestly looks like Taysom Hill. I was going to say, you know, a better version of Tim Tebow, and then I just realized that comp is Taysom Hill. The, the kid can run, but his passing game, not so great. So Sam Houston State's running defense was pretty solid. And their passing defense, eh, at best. And that is being generous with the at best. But at the same time, Montana State really can't pass the ball that well. So as strange as, as it sounds, because they really were in such a tight game last week, I'm going to take Sam Houston. They're a five-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to take them to cover. I do think that Montana State can score. Just the fact that they're going to have to do it on the ground a bit more, they're just not going to be able to keep pace with them. And also, Sam Houston State's running backs, they are good. Particularly number six, he is a stud. So give me Sam Houston to win. And, yeah, I, I, you know, let's have some fun. I think they're going to go over 48 and a half. Going with the over club. Yeah, why not? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Sam Houston is clearly the more experienced team here at this point in the playoffs. Um, they, they finished the league third in FC, uh, in all of FCS with 43 points a game. Um, yes, their, their passing defense got shredded last week. Um, and, you know, they're giving up just about 270 yards passing per game. Um, but it's important to note that a lot of that, excluding last week, are teams trying to play catch up to them. Um, and we do know that Incarnate Word's offense was legit. I mean, yeah, because right? they, they were not trying to play catch-up. They were leading very yeah. late in that game. Yeah, I mean, but just as a season overall, you have to imagine some of that is that Sam Houston basically just rolled everyone that they played. Um, Sam Houston obviously had the, the spring title. Sam Houston's been to the – in the past decade, has been to the finals a handful of times. Um so I'm taking Sam Houston here, going with with, with the experience, um, and I'm you know I have to say for a one versus eight seed, um, this is I mean ten and two Montana State, good great season for them. Um, I just I, I see Sam Houston rolling here, but I'm going to take the under. So not not joining you in the over club. <laughs> um, going to take the under. It's playoff football. Um, Sam Houston. 
I, I would imagine it's going to be a lot tighter um, on defense. So Montana State's not going to be putting up many points. I mean, that's fair. Uh, I think that taking a look at what happened, I think if there's any team in this playoff that Sam Houston fears, it's JMU. Like the JMU's passing offense is so explosive. That North how, Dakota State. I, I think that their defense is better suited to stop a running game or at least hold them up enough to take the win. So I, I think that they would fear North Dakota State, but I think the fact that JMU can just carve them up with passing in a similar but better fashion than Incarnate Word was because, again, watching Southeastern Louisiana against JMU, JMU's receivers were running butt-naked open all day. And I would love to say that Sam Houston has a better defense in Southeastern Louisiana. They obviously do. But watching them against Incarnate Word, I don't know if that passing defense is going to put up much more resistance than the Lions did against JMU. So... I'd got to go with the fact that, you know, I, I think that they know that JMU is on the middle finger tour and they know that they have their kryptonite with the passing game. So if I'm Sam Houston State, I do not want to see JMU in the title game. I would much rather see North Dakota State, which is an odd thing to say, given the program that North Dakota State is. But taking a look at from everything that I've seen, that just feels like the obvious truth to me. So I think it's important to note that and obviously every year is different but since 2011 north dakota state and sam houston state have met in the finals well in 2011-2012 and then they've each individually won the title hold on i gotta do some counting here one two three four five six seven eight nine of the last ten championships sam houston or north dakota state won with the 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 outlier being being jmu yep so i don't know we're talking about the heavies here which by the way jmu next year gonna be part of that fun belt so uh saying peace out fcs meanwhile sam houston and i mean again they're on the middle finger tour that's true that is true so i mean i i think that plays a huge part in it so so here's a question next year this time next year. Okay. JMU in a bowl game. Ooh. <laughs> Just remember how Old Dominion uh, did. So here's the thing between JMU and Old Dominion. When Old Dominion made the leap, Old Dominion was clear not on the same level of program that JMU was. Agreed. I'm surprised they were allowed to. Yeah. I mean, when, when they made the move, that was a clear money grab for them. And this year I would say that they were, yeah, decent. Um, but it takes it, some time to, you know, get yeah. some traction going, but I just, I feel like the kind of program that JMU is, I feel like they could make that jump, especially cause they're going to be in the fun belt. So yeah, exactly. And, That's why I asked. Yeah. And we're not Easier talking, conference. you know, we're not talking winning the conference, but we're just talking about getting to a bowl game. So I think for them, that's a very reasonable expectation to meet. So I, I could see it. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. So real quick, let's jump to some NFL because we really don't do it justice while we're on here because we're usually running long with other topics. But first and foremost, we kind of mentioned the snow globe with Buffalo and New England, but uh, Bill Belichick only throwing the ball three times. I get the feeling he's probably had some wet dreams about doing that before. (laughs) That was that was ugly. I mean, I, I. 
if you're looking for some some Bill Belichick hate, I'm the wrong guy. Um, I don't want to say I'm a huge Pats fan. I'm not. Um, my dad is. Grew up in Connecticut. Lifelong Pats fan. Pre-Bill Belichick, back when they were terrible. Mm-hmm. People forget that. Um, so, you know, I've, I've obviously just outright respect for Belichick. Um, and, I mean, honestly, to get a group of guys to, to buy into that game plan and against a very good Bills team at home, and get the win like that, I, I just I, you have to tip your hat to it. Yeah, is it the most boring game of football in the world? Yeah, don't watch and don't watch the Army Navy game this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, at least the triple option is so unique enough that people who don't watch it throughout the year, at least there's some spice from that because you're looking to go what like what the heck is happening here? Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting. You know, they I saw a few different Pats players tweeting out. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not, I don't play this game for fantasy points. I play this game to, to, to get W's and you know, that's what they're doing. Um, I don't see the success lasting in the playoffs. And I know that, that I'm saying that now is probably going to come and burn me in a month, but um, I would be curious if say that wind was not a factor last night, do you think that was their game plan coming in? Or oh, was that to, all... to only throw it three times? Absolutely not. But yeah, that that had to have been like kind of a, a day of decision or something that they've had in their back pocket. I mean, um, they probably had somebody like taking a look at the weather and just planning for it just in case. But because I mean, it's it's Bill Belichick. I would not be shocked if he planned for literally every single possible contingency. Right. I just I, I don't you know. Uh... Before the game, there was a lot of talk about how Mac Jones had never seen snow until like 2015, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Being a Southern boy. Um, also, you know, going to Bama and whatnot. And I hate to break it to them, but like if they get a home playoff game, which they're on track to do, you're going to have to win a cold weather game, possibly in the snow. We saw we saw Brady do it a bunch. So I, I just – what worries me for the playoffs with them is do they have enough faith in Mac Jones to throw the ball 15 times, let alone 30 and actually get a W. Um, But you have to tip your hats. I mean, what a game plan. Uh, Also Pat's offensive line. Like you have, you know, that they were beating their chest after that game. Talk about a statement. Yeah. I mean, I was also, um, so I was talking with some people before the game. And they were all on Buffalo winning because they were saying, you know, New England hasn't played anybody. They haven't really beaten anyone of note. Uh, If they did beat anyone, it was, you know, when they like they were missing some players or something like that. But I mean, yes, they are correct in that. But at the same time, if you looked at it, Buffalo's best running back is Josh Allen. And you're not going to run Josh Allen every single running play because he's your quarterback. So I just like there was part of me that just knew like, all right, in a game like this, Buffalo just isn't going to be able to run the ball well enough in order to do it. So they had some opportunities to win it. It was a very close game and they could have won it. But at the same time, I just I I had that sinking feeling that New England was going to pull it out because that like their running game overall is just flat out better. So if they get to the playoffs and they have that sort of like snow game. I actually feel like they'll probably feel pretty confident in it, especially after what they produced this past week, because their defense is good enough to get them through, especially against what could be a very explosive offense. I mean, Josh Allen's arm throwing into that wind 
Duke, Duke could literally throw the ball out of the stadium if he wanted to. He was probably taking some off those throws. But, you know, that, that offense is super explosive. You give them against somebody else in a snow game, except for maybe Kansas City, because Kansas City is starting to round into, you know, round into form right now. I, I think they'll be pretty comfortable with it. So it, it's it, it's tough for me to say that I'm losing confidence in them because of Mac Jones, because he also does seem to be getting like increasingly better. And they kind of seem to have a modern day version of what new England had when Tom Brady won his first title, which was, you know, he was an okay quarterback, but they had a strong running game, a really good defense. And they, you know, I feel like their special teams were a little bit better than they are nowadays, but you know, they, they've got enough to just not screw it up. And I feel like in all honesty, that's just what new England needs. So that that is my concern with them and i say concern because i am a little bit i'm not as tired with them winning now that brady is gone because it does feel fresher but i really thought this would be buffalo's year and so far they are proving to me that it is not their year yeah i mean i think uh you hit the nail right on the head when you said buffalo needs a running back uh they've got brita um but they 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 need to draft a running back. They have everything else. They've got a deep threat. They've got a stud quarterback locked up. They've got a very good defense. Obviously their defense is a little banged up, but everyone is at this point <laughs> Ravens. Um, but I, you know, um, could you imagine um, hell uh, Antonio Gibson? Please don't take him off my team. I'm, I'm just saying, just you put a above average, very good running back on that team. And that's a that's a dangerous team so i would imagine um i don't know if their offensive line is good enough for that though because they like they're really good in pass protection but they're not great at run blocking because yeah their running backs aren't the best but they also really don't have much to work with i um well yeah yeah i i you know i was talking during the game last night with a buddy of mine and you know people give lamar a lot of crap for the way that he runs but i'm gonna be honest I, you know, I understand that different body type and whatnot, but Josh Allen just straight up tries to bulldoze guys all the time. And I know he's bigger, stronger, but like, it's going come, to come back to bite him. Yes. And I mean, I, I will say Lamar has gotten way better at taking hits. Um, so just like to, to throw that out there. I mean, I like Josh Allen. Um, I think he's a stud, obviously. I mean, he, he's a freak. His, his, like you said, his arm strength and dude having digs, Diggs is a freak. <laughs> yeah. So you you also you mentioned the Ravens. Uh, I'm also going to say this because we've mentioned you know some people being banged up. The Ravens are lucky that they live in the same city as John Hopkins because my my God, they they just have the worst injury luck this year. I mean, now Marlon Humphrey's out for the season after tearing a pectoral. They've already lost so many players. All of their running backs on the roster to start the season. Marcus Peters more and more throughout the course of the year. It, it's Ronnie Stanley. It's hard to keep track at this point. Like I can't even throw out all the names because there's just so many. I can't remember them all. So while I think that they'll still be a playoff team, I think that any hopes of Super Bowl this year are pretty slim just from how much talent they've lost. But what Agreed. I will say is that when they, when they inevitably lose in the playoffs, which I think they will do, I know there are going to be some people in the media who start taking more shots at Lamar because he didn't win in the playoffs. And 
more so than even in years past where I didn't think that it was really his fault this year, more than any, I'm going to be even more irritated with people who are saying that because right now Lamar is the reason why they're still winning games. I mean, the, the game where he threw like four interceptions in the second quarter. Sure. He very easily could have lost them that game and should have, but they were playing the Browns and Baker Mayfield is, you know, just banged up to all hell. He pretty much has all of the injuries that the Ravens have in his own body. Just, you know, he doesn't have as many ACLs. So, and, and but like, luckily they haven't been torn, but That's I mean, <laughs> he's, he himself is like a walking medical bill. Yeah. So that, that in itself, like they survived that game. And that was a little bit more in spite of Lamar Jackson, as opposed to, you know, because of him, but he right now, he's their best player. And I mean, he was, he was their best player in years past and he's going to keep being their best player. So he's going to catch a ton of flack just because he's the starting quarterback. But this year, more than any other year, that dude deserves a pass. He really does. Yeah, man. I mean, I agree. I, with, uh, with that being said, you know, I think of all the injuries, our lack of run game is really just starting to catch up with us. Um, you take that away and Lamar tries to do too much by himself. And that's what you're seeing. That's why we lost the other night. I mean, TJ Watt is a freak at, you know, I think kind of undoubtedly possibly the best defender in football right now, Um, you know, game changer single-handedly. And he didn't even practice last week because he had COVID. Um, But when Lamar starts holding onto the ball and trying to do everything himself, bad things happen. And whether that be the four interceptions or just a lot of bad passes, there were a lot of times, um, in the game versus Pittsburgh this past weekend where he had receivers open down the field, but he gets, gets pressured. He feels the heat and he's holding onto the ball and he's doing his dancing and whatnot, which is obviously hella impressive, but you got to get that ball out faster. I would imagine that you're going to start seeing that over the next few weeks from the Ravens. We do get another uh, matchup this week coming weekend against the Browns. Hopefully they'll get us, that'll get us in check game. You know, any NFC, any AFC North, game for the Ravens is always tight. Um, so I don't expect it to be an easy win, but I would, I would imagine the Ravens come out and put together a full 60 minute effort. Um, not to say that they did that they didn't because I think that they completely owned the game the other night, but to have that much possession and rushing yards and then lose the game. Now, granted, we don't know what would have happened if it went to overtime. Um, but I will say this. I do not fault them for making a decision to go for two. That's a part of their DNA. They've been that kind of team forever with, especially with Lamar at the helm. It, they had the right play. Lamar just missed the throw because if you, if you notice it, if Andrews had caught the ball, he was walking in for, oh, of for the two points. So they, they drew up the right play, just missed the throw. So that, that could be an indictment against Lamar. But also, I think when you have T.J. Watt bearing down on you, you, you kind of have to hustle up the throw. So th- there's some factors that go into there that just T.J. Watt just made a really good play. Lamar just missed the throw, and that's why they lost. But so many people are going back and pulling like the hindsight of like, oh, you have Justin Tucker, you have Justin Tucker. Well, guess what? Pittsburgh has Chris Boswell. And Chris Boswell isn't Justin Tucker, but he's made like similar amounts of like 50-yard bombs to win games and things of that nature. Plus it's only a 10 minute period. 
And Pittsburgh was going on a, like a lot of time consuming drives that were going nowhere. So what happens if they run like a six, seven minute drive that ends up in nothing. And then you've got three minutes to work with on your own. Otherwise you end up in a tie. If I'm John Harbaugh, especially in a, a game like that against Pittsburgh, I mean, go for it. You made the right call. It just, the play didn't work out. So yeah, I think everybody who's giving Harbaugh a bunch of crap for it, it I, I truly believe they're they're in the wrong here. Yeah, sorry, I'm uh, I, I'm perusing the the socials right now, and since I know you're a lacrosse fan, I would just like to say that Anaheim Ducks rookie Trevor Zegers stud. Just completed what they're considering a lacrosse assist. It's nasty. Anyone who's watching should definitely go take it out, uh, take a look at it. Um, sometimes referred to as the Michigan, um, but oh, uh, the uh, the like the scoop and like push it in the scoop. He so instead of pushing it, instead of wrapping it around like the you know, hence the lacrosse goal or Michigan, whatever you want to call it. He passed um, it. He passed it. He lobbed it over. So he picked it up. Keep in mind, Zegris. I could be wrong. Nineteen. I think he's 19, maybe 20, picks it up. Uh, granted, they're playing the Sabres, but and flips it over the net, scooped it and completely flipped it, and it went off in off the uh, the goalie's uh, shoulder. So nasty highlight to look at that. So sorry to interrupt <laughs> some some NFL stuff. Well, I mean, we're we're gonna talk about some NHL games in a minute, so I'll make a quick note. I'm gonna com- also just completely dance around my team because I don't know how to feel about it. What, the, the Washington other, playoff team? The only other team that I really think is worth diving into, Chris, is the Arizona Cardinals because Kyler Murray is back, as is DeAndre Hopkins. They looked really good against Chicago. Granted, it's Chicago, but also, granted, Arizona is a warm city team who plays in a dome, and they were playing on easily the top one or two next to the Washington football team's field, Soldier Field. Their field is terrible. So I think the fact that they made it out of that game, they made it out of that game without any major injuries, they won it in pretty dominating fashion. That was a statement by them, even though the Bears overall are not a good team. The only thing that I came out of that game that just infuriates me, mainly because I'm his, his fantasy owner in both my leagues, but also just because it, it's, it's also in my mind just a plain fact, the fact that DeAndre Hopkins only had two catches in that game is an absolute travesty to his level of talent. There is no way that DeAndre Hopkins should be getting less than like seven catches a game. It's it's ridiculous to me that they don't throw the ball to him more. I mean, hold on here. So I agree. He's a freak. It's also kind of that that point in the season, you know, they just hit the 10 win mark, if I'm correct. I believe right? so. Yes. 10 and 2 now. Um I would not see that as necessarily a bad thing. I th- I would like to imagine that with you know over the next few weeks we'll start to see him getting ramped up and ready for some playoff um, action. Which to be fair, that's where the Cardinals need to step up. Um, and it's a relatively I'm going to say this, and I immediately have all these vets popping into my head, but it's a very, very relatively young team with a young coaching staff that doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. Um, so it would be interesting to see what they do moving forward, um, you know, into the, I know I'm about to say colder weather months, but I know they play in Arizona, but um, they look good. 
I would imagine that they're really just trying to get healthy. Same with Kyler, obviously the, having the bye week helped uh, last week, but yeah, they look good, man. Um, also just, AJ green stud, not getting a ton of catches. They're, they're doing a very nice job of spreading the ball around. So AJ green, uh, he's just, he's also, he's past his prime and had some injuries. So yes, he's still a stud, but he's not the stud that he once was. My concern with the Deandre Hopkins thing is also like, if, if you watch the Cardinals play, at times, he and Kyler have a bit of a tenuous chemistry between the two of them because, you know, you can see it on Hopkins' face. There are some times where, like, he just doesn't feel like he gets the ball enough. And truthfully, as well as Kyler is playing, despite his height, there are some times where his height just causes him to miss him. So, you know, that yeah. that's really where my concern lies is that, you know, you got to give your number one enough balls to keep your number one happy. Like there is no doubt up in Green Bay that Devontae Adams is a happy man. Of course. Granted, granted, the Cardinals receiving core has more talent across it than way deeper than say the Packers. But at the same time, why is Christian Kirk getting so many catches compared to DeAndre Hopkins? Not to say that Christian Kirk isn't good, but he's not DeAndre Hopkins. And to me, you just you gotta get that man the ball, especially in the playoffs. Like I know you want to keep him healthy. But you also got to make sure that you're on the same page as him. And I have some serious concerns about that because there have been some times where the two of them are barking at each other and going at it. And it, it just it, it could become a problem come playoff time. So I feel like in these last few weeks, if Kingsbury, who is doing a much better job this year than he has in years past, if he is smart, like people think that he is, he'll pick up on that and realize like, hey, even if it's not, you know, a perfect game plan, we've got enough flexibility right now with the way that the season is playing out that we can try to force feed Hopkins a couple balls and we can get away with it. So I really think they got to hammer, hammer that in, but I've beaten that horse enough. Let's move on to some NHL picks. First game of the weekend, Anaheim, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh started off the season a little bit slow, if I recall correctly. And Anaheim is probably one of, if not the most improved team in the league compared to last year. So this one, while not being like, you know, a, a number one seed versus number one seed right now, to me, a lot of intrigue in it because also any, you know, Western Conference versus Eastern Conference solid team is going to have some intrigue to it. But this could be kind of a measuring stick game for, for both teams. Anaheim came to Washington. They lost in a shootout. And as you mentioned, they're playing Buffalo right now. So they're in the middle of an East Coast swing. And I think Pittsburgh, not being the first game on their schedule, really is going to provide a tough test for them. And for Pittsburgh, you know, that's going to provide the, the test of, you know, are we are we potentially for real this season? So how, how do you see this breaking down? Um, so, you know, as with everything, I, I, you know, I try to really gauge the situation on this. Um, Pens are currently finishing up an East, uh, sorry, a West coast swing. Um, they pumped Seattle last night, I believe it's six one um, Crosby's first time out in Seattle. Um, their pens, you know, Mike Sullivan, as much as I don't like Pittsburgh, Mike Sullivan is a great coach. Um, you know, they're one of these teams where they can suffer a billion injuries and they just, somehow keep chugging along. I don't really like their goaltending. Um, and in this matchup, the pens are on a back-to-back -back with DC. So they're coming back from a West coast swing and barring any COVID issues with the caps, knock on wood. Um, that game uh, will happen Thursday night. 
and they the ducks and pens play friday night or sorry pens pens caps is friday night ducks pens is saturday and so back to back obviously pens are going to be more up for the caps game being a rivalry game i kind of see this being a letdown game also really like the ducks um the ducks are loaded with young studs i mean i they still have, you know, some of the old timers there. Um, Getzlav obviously comes to name comes to, to mind. Uh, he's banged up right now, dealing with a knee injury. Um, they've got Cam Fowler in the back. He's kind of been a staple for the past, I don't know, ten years there. But um, Trevor Zegers is a beast. He's like nineteen. Jamie's Drivesdale, stud D man, does not get talked about en- enough. He's playing first line minutes as a twenty year old. Um, Troy Terry is an absolute sniper on the wing. And then obviously they got the stalwart Gibson and net. So I'm going with Anaheim here. Imagine the pens are going to be on a, a letdown after caps game, regardless of the result. So I actually, I have a weird way of kind of connecting the dots on this one where I thought that if Anaheim had beat the caps, that they would lose to Pittsburgh. But since the caps won against Anaheim, I have a feeling that they'll beat Pittsburgh I know that they're several days apart and they really don't have any bearing on each other, but I felt like when I saw, like when I was taking a look at their schedule, I didn't think they were going to come out of those games two and O, but I also didn't think they were going to come out of it. zero and two. So really it was just a matter of who they were going to beat and who they were going to lose to. So in my mind, they lost to the caps a very close one. And I think right now, Washington's a better team than Pittsburgh minus the COVID issues. I mean, they, they did, they did win despite the COVID issues that they're, well, they're having but so they've got three guys in protocol right now they did not they canceled practice today because of worried about possible exposure they canceled practice for tomorrow already so there's two days without practice and they're going to do a pregame skate uh for the game against pittsburgh but it'll be interesting you know I, some time off could be good considering the age of the caps you know kind of overall i say that but obviously we've got Got a nice, nice mix of youth in right now, which I am two thumbs up all for. <laughs> um, they were playing really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I mean, obviously we can, we're all going to be Debbie Downers on our own team, but he's been very good ever since Fucali came up and posted a shutout. Sammy's been ridiculous. Um, Defense has looked pretty solid. Um, our, I like our center play. Um, if anything, I'd like a little bit more scoring from the bottom six, but as a whole, well, Hagelin scored last night and we won. So yeah, we'll see. We're getting healthy. I'm curious. We haven't really gotten an update on Mantha in a while. So I'm kind of wondering if he's out for the year, um, which would really suck. Um, and you know, my bold prediction, if we go back maybe a month, beginning of the season, I, I said on this podcast that Daniel Sprong was going to have a breakout year. He looks good, man, but he's just not potting anything. And uh, I made the silly mistake of picking him up on both my fantasy teams. And <laughs> not not smart, but I digress. Well, yeah, I was going to say, digressing back to the game at hand, because we, we can go off about the Caps forever, but they're actually not on the games this week that we're picking. Um, I, I'm also going to take Anaheim uh, to win this. I already kind of gave my explanation for it. So both of us on the Ducks obviously means Pittsburgh's going to win. So let's move on to Boston going to Calgary, a rematch from earlier this season. Uh, The game's going to be at Calgary, which low-key, every time I look up what their stadium looks like, one of the coolest-looking stadiums just because it's it's very unique. Yeah, it's very unique. So 
if you have free time, just Google images that it's a really co uh, cool looking arena. And I, I don't know what it is. I don't, I still don't know a ton about Calgary. In fact, of all the Canadian teams, I'd say that they're the team other than like Ottawa that I know the least about. Hmm. I, I even know more about Vancouver right now. Although granted earlier this week or last week or something, I did put out a tweet that said, you know, Oh, Hey, fun fact. I just learned that Braden Holtby's no longer on Vancouver. <laughs> Dallas, man. Yeah. So clearly I am, you know, fully up to date on all that, but keeping with the flames, I, it just seems like honestly, every time that I check in on what they're doing, they're winning. So I don't have a great in-depth analysis on this one, but for me, it's just, you know, every time I see them, they're winning. So why would I think they're going to lose this game? So I'm going to go ahead and take Calgary. Yeah, I mean, I do not fault you there at all. I'm kind of being uh, a, a rebel here by going with Boston. I think uh, Boston's an experienced team. They've they've got some some new faces. Um, their goaltending has been a little rocky, even though I will say Tuka Rask practiced for them, even though he is not signed to a contract. So risking him himself to practice with them this week, so possibly you know be on the lookout for that. But Calgary, man. Uh, very solid coach team. Uh, Sutter is, I mean, a stud, well-known, has a bunch of cups. Um, they play a hard physical game, which come playoff time is going to help them. They're a great five-on-five -five team opposed to uh, the good old Oilers who that will burn them at some point, yeah. um, regardless of how flashy they want to be. Um, but I'm going with Boston here, a little bit of a, a revenge game for Boston as uh, they get the, to take on good, their, their legend, Milan Lucic, who's out in uh, Calgary. Um, and I, you know, Boston's kind of at the, in that mushy middle right now. So they definitely, they, they have a very good core, obviously that top line with pasta and Marshawn. And now that they got, um, they're starting to get healthy. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that, that the vets are going to kind of step up and be like, we need to start piling together some wins. So, going Boston here, but I like the Calgary pick, I will say. So uh, speaking of Edmonton, since you just toss them in for a quick second, they are already down 2 nothing against Minnesota. Granted, it's the first period, but you know, like you said, they're going to get burned by it eventually. So why not against another really good team in the wild? Um, so let's move on to our next one. This is another fun Western Conference versus Eastern Conference matchup. We've got Nashville going against the Rangers. So I, I know from college that you are, at least because Shea Weber was there, I know that you were a low-key Predators fan. So part of me wonders if you're taking Nashville because you were a low-key fan of theirs and probably, like me, are not fans of the Rangers. But I take a look at it, and a lot of this has to do with Artemi Panarin being as good as he is and then also their defenseman Fox being really freaking good. I just I feel like this is going to be some home cooking for the Rangers, but convince me otherwise. Well, uh, Rangers right now, they're without their starting goalie as far as I well, as of right now. Obviously, that could change by this weekend, but they're without Shazirk and um, they got Georgiev, Georgiev in. Um, he's kind of been a mixed bag. He was supposed to be, you know, the, the, the torchbearer after Lundqvist moved on. Um, he ended up taking a back seat, seat to Igor Shazurkin, who just got hurt. Um, uh, on top of that, they are taking – it's their third game in four nights, so kind of going with some momentum here. Um, I also just – Predators uh, 
low key, they've been getting a lot out of their centers who are finally stepping up. You know, they traded for Duchesne and Johansson a few years ago, and they really haven't done all that much. Preds are always solid in the back end, even dating back to the Barry Trotz years. So I'm going Preds here. Um, and yes, while I think that Panarin's a beast, I also just don't think the Rangers are that good of a team. I know they're rolling right now. Um, well, not right I, now. They're actually down two of one to Chicago right now. Yeah, but they won like nine straight or something like that. They're like nine. Well, one yeah, so I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, for the purposes of everyone listening to this podcast, to keep up with it, actually, never mind. They just scored a power play goal, so it's tied up two to two. Okay, so I mean, <laughs> with, with that being said, I also, I mean, and that could be coming tonight. Um, a team cannot stay hot for forever, so I would imagine there to be some type of letdown. Um, Preds are a solid team. Uh, John Hines, former Devils coach, has seen a lot of the Rangers in his, in his career. So, um, going with the Preds. Uh, yeah, so I, I will also say that they, if they cool off against Chicago, not the worst thing in the world, because Chicago, after having just an absolute nightmarish, that, uh, truthfully, there is no word to describe the start of the season for Chicago. Nothing will ever do it justice because justice because it was just, just awful, de- deplorable. If you're a fan of the team, I'd imagine that you were absolutely apoplectic. I am literally just trying to find a way to pull out as many SAT words to describe their, their start of the season as I can, just to do it some modicum of justice. But Chicago's also six and four in their last 10. So for them, with the way that they started the season, that, that's not that bad. So, you know, if they beat the Rangers tonight, maybe that, you know, wakes the Rangers up a little bit for the Nashville game. Who knows? But, you know, losing to Chicago, to Chicago right now, I don't think is as much of an embarrassment as it would have been about a month ago. So for that reason, I mean, I picked the Rangers. They are rolling. Uh, you make a great case for Nashville. Also, you know more hockey than I do. So I, I, wanted, I wanted to take Nashville because you kind of convinced me. But at the same time, I'm going to stick with my gut and go with the Rangers. So final game of the weekend. And I know that we marquee talk- matchup. I love this matchup. I'm so yes. glad that you picked this team. I, I know that we have talked about Florida multiple times on this podcast, but the fact of the matter is Florida's just that good. And they just got your boy back. You know, he yeah, Barkov, one goal already tonight. For one shot, one goal. He literally yeah. scored on his first shot. So well, he might have a different stat line right now, but well, I mean, yes, but at the time where he took that shot, he scored. So one goal plus two, three shots at the end of two periods. He's a stud. He's a freak. I take yeah. him over McDavid. So he's back. Um, I admit I didn't realize he was back when I made my pick because I took Colorado granted also just because I like being stubborn. Sometimes I'm not going to switch my pick, but not a bad pick. This is a coin flip game. You know, I think Colorado did not have the start to the season that they wanted, but I think that they're starting to get rolling now. And, you know, generally speaking, I also feel like teams who kind of have a season like that, where they don't start strong, but you know that they're still a good team and then they really start to put it together like towards like the middle of the season or even towards the back end. I always feel like those are the teams that are much more likely to win a Stanley cup or for other leagues, like, you know, win, win a super bowl, win uh, the Larry O'Brien trophy over in uh, over in the NBA. The only, the only sport where I really don't always see that happening in is baseball, the Atlanta Braves from this season, notwithstanding because they just, they suffered a bunch of injuries and won. But baseball, their season's just too long. But 
for NHL, it's the perfect kind of sport where you can have a, a sluggish start and then really start to get it together and be a Stanley Cup threat. So knowing that that's the case and also me just being a little bit more comfortable with them not having Philip Grubauer as their goalie because I was never sold on Grubauer when he was Holtby's backup. He just he never really did it for me. And when I you know found out that he was going to be the guy over in Colorado, I also really didn't think that was going to turn into much. So knowing that that situation has been, you know, in my opinion, a little bit rectified, I'm going to take the avalanche in this one. Ah, Sean. So you're, 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 you're using (laughs) the abs goaltending to your advantage. So their starters hurt right now, just so you know. And that's why I still think it's better than Grubauer. I really wasn't sold on him. I just, Okay, so in the, in the games that Kemper has missed, so their current starter, who they traded a lot away for, Kemper's a stud. He was in um, Arizona, uh, kind of, you know, was had a great stint there, uh, didn't really have much of a team in front of him. So in the games since Kemper got hurt the other day, the Avs, who have, I'd say, the best roster in the entire NHL, they lost, let's see. They gave up eight to Toronto. They they won four to one against Montreal. Okay. They gave up five, sorry, six goals to Ottawa. And then last night they won, but they gave up five goals to Philly, who just fired their coach and are in total shambles. So because of that, literally because of that, unless Kemper comes back, which at this point, there's no real way of knowing. He's on my fantasy team. He's day-to-day right now. So we'll see what happens. But because of that, I'm going Panthers only because of the goaltending. I think it's an even scratch push, uh, basically entire depth charts. Not going to lie, like this would be a six Stanley Cup final to see. Um, you got the star power with Barkov. You got McKinnon up front. Um, you got some stud demon and young demon and um, Ekblad, Mackenzie Weger for Florida. You got Kale McCarr, who is money. One of the uh, there was a, a nice tweet out last night about if the Caps could add any player in the in the league, regardless of cost, who would it be? I said Kale McCarr to freak and end goal last night against Philly. He's a stud. Um, Wait, regardless of cost, you're not going Barkov? You love him? No, no. Caps don't need him. I'm content with the Caps center depth. But I mean, if he's as good as you say that he is, couldn't every team use him? Of course. I mean, of course. If you, but I'm saying one player. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to give you a hard time over this because you love yourself some Barkov. I do. I mean, I, yeah, center wise, center wise, we're talking, but I'm just, kid, dude, Kale McCarr is a freak. <laughs> Kale McCarr is a freak. Um, so I, I think it's, I think this is a perfect, this is, this is the matchup of the week, I would have to say. Um, so, and literally going Florida mainly because depending on who they play and net, it doesn't really matter. They've got, three good goalies down there. Um, and yeah, this would be a great fit, final matchup though. I, uh, it's too early to even guess who's going to be in it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going on Colorado just kind of on a gut feeling. I've picked Florida so many times in the past. And while I did yeah. say with Calgary, just because I, I keep seeing them win, I'm going to keep picking them for some reason. It just feels different for me with Florida. Maybe it's because they play down in Miami and I just think warm weather city. So I, I don't know if that's my reasoning behind it because it's probably something subconscious. But for, no, some re- for some reason, I just think Colorado is getting their act together. 
And this is going to be the, the game that, you know, puts up the warning sign to the league. Hey, you know, we, we failed last year. We, we fell flat on our face this year. We're, we're not here to mess around. Dude, the abs roster, man. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so let's move on to college basketball. And I'm going to mention this now because people know that I am a Maryland fan. I have been none too fond of their coach, Mark Turgeon. He resigned this past week. When it came out, (laughs) well, so here's the thing. At this point, I'm a bit exhausted of my excitement over him leaving because when it happened, I was beating that dead horse left and right. I was so happy that he was gone. And truthfully, I still am. But at this point, I feel like, you know, whether it was on Twitter or just anyone who would listen to me talk about it, I feel like I've made my point enough with that. So I wanted him gone so that way Maryland could get off the hamster wheel of repetition and just try something new. So I feel like for that case, I'm not really going to talk too much about it here just because I've made my points. I'm happy he's gone. He's a nice guy, or at least I get the sense that he's a nice guy because I don't know him at all. I just did not think he was a good coach. That's it. That's on. If I want the team to move on, then as a fan, I need to move on as well. I don't know who their next head coach is going to be. I don't know who I'd want to be their next head coach. Cause as I mentioned, you know, he's, he's a hell of a recruiter. And I just don't know who the best option would be to be his replacement. There's there's really no obvious stepping stone of who you're going to bring in next. Because the, the program itself, I think, is in a very weird fluctuating position where it's still an attractive program because it's Maryland and it's such a fertile talent ground. But at the same time, they have burned some bridges with DeMatha, which is a basketball powerhouse Damatha is also a nike school and i have no doubt that nike reps are pushing Damatha kids to go to nike schools especially now with name image and likeness stuff going on so it's a little bit tough that maryland's an under armor school in comparison with that uh now obviously Damatha isn't the end-all be-all but they are the gold standard of the dmv so my thoughts on the next head coach is tbd I will make my decision, not just when they hire him, but after, you know, if it's not somebody who I'm super familiar with, like some people have mentioned Seton Hall's head coach as an obvious fit. I think he's done a great job up there, at least from what I see record wise, but I don't know a ton about him because I don't watch Seton Hall play a lot just because I normally don't you know, find them on my television. But, you know, could it be a good fit? I don't know. Could uh, Juan Dixon, a lot of people want to bring him back as a fit be really good. I would love it if, if he was also interested in joining, if Steve Blake came back, because I think the two of them put together as, you know, head coach, assistant coach, whatever their roles are, they could probably be interchangeable and also have the two of them as the two best players, maybe Lonnie Baxter uh, on their championship team. That's, that's a hell of a recruiting pitch that you can make there. So I think that would be interesting. There, it feels like there's so many options, but at the same time, it feels like there really aren't many options. It's, it's a weird place to be in. So either way, I'm just in the, in the spot of, I'm just curious to see what comes next. It, at least, at least we get something fresh. Yeah. So two quite well, two questions. One question about that. How long, um, well, I shouldn't say how long, um, Tur- is, will, will Turgeon be a head coach somewhere next year? Uh, or do you see him taking a back seat for a little bit or just taking a few years off or 
I think it's weird because also it is super rare, like almost completely unheard of for a coach to either get fired or in the case of this, have a mutual parting of ways. And unlike most situations, I feel like this was an actual like mutual parting of ways. Whereas Turgeon was like, Hey, I'm sick of this. And the AD just didn't try to stop him. I don't think that he won. I don't know if he necessarily wanted him gone, but he didn't necessarily want him to stay. So it was just kind of where he said, like, all right, I'm tired of this. And the AG just went, all right, see ya. <laughs> so so the, truthfully, I also would have to see what jobs come become available because unlike most cases, again, right now, every job is full and we don't right. know who's going to be fired or not. Uh, if he does become a head coach, I think he moves back to the Midwest. He's a Midwest guy. He's got a Midwest type of personality. The um, East Coast hospitality, I don't think, really sat with him well. Uh, it is, it's an interesting brand over here. You know, even though everyone gives New York, you know, the credit for being that huge media market full of jerks. Honestly, anything D.C. North is full of that. So Maryland's a part of it. Maryland fans were none too kind to him towards the end. Personally, I think deservedly so. Granted, I also grew up here, so the East Coast hospitality is something that I'm used to, whereas other people, it's probably a little bit of a culture shock. So I feel like he's just going to move back to like where his roots are and grow a little bit more comfortable that way. Because, I mean, he spent 11 years here, and those last few years were clearly wearing on him. So why not just go back to where you're comfortable? I think he could. It just depends on what job becomes available. All right, I dig it. And then my second question. Mm-hmm. Towson basketball, man. Uh, are you saying that they're doing well, or that yeah. they're gonna look, or they're going to look at their head coach for the Maryland job? Oh no, 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 no. Okay, Towson okay. basketball doing relatively well. They they are. They just upset Kent State. They were a five and a half point dog on the road. I am very very happy with how they're playing. Uh, Nicholas Timberlake, after being what I thought was kind of a goofy six man last year, uh, he has turned into a real stud for them. So right now, I am cautiously optimistic. I don't think they're going to win the CAA. I don't think they're going to get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think that they might actually have a legit shot at the NIT, which for them would be a raging success Yeah, compared to how they've been at the last year. Uh, so I need to see how it plays out once they hit conference play. There are some good teams in conference. We, uh, we were talking about before we hopped on, JMU beat Virginia. Granted, Virginia looks like trash this year, but still – that's a CAA team taking down an ACC team. That's quality, no matter how you put it. So I, I'm happy to see where they're going. I'll just put it that way. All right. So diving into some games, some conference games are starting to heat up, as well as some, you know, also very interesting non-conference matchups. The first one is a conference matchup against two teams that I think many at the beginning of the season weren't expecting a ton out of, Wisconsin and Ohio State. Many people did not have Wisconsin in their you know, field of 64, 68 for the NCAA tournament. So far, they've had some pretty impressive wins. They take home the Maui championship. And Ohio State has looked equally, if not more impressive, by also the fact that they upset number one Duke uh, after Duke took down then number one Gonzaga. You could say maybe a letdown spot, but honestly, it's Ohio State. You know, even though they're a football school, they've always had a good basketball program. So I can't imagine that being too much of a letdown. So the, I think that was just a really good game by Ohio State. And I, not going to lie, this one's really tough for me to pick. Uh, so I ended up going up with Ohio State just because that Duke win to me, super impressive, especially with how they controlled the boards. 
And that is something that is also a normal Wisconsin calling card. But I think that with, I believe it's EJ Liddell, because I know there were two Liddells who were there, but I think it's EJ who's still there. Uh, EJ Liddell controlling the boards and being an absolute stud. And the fact that Wisconsin is still um, you know, relying on the old and decrepit Brad Davison to take a million charges for them because the dude just doesn't decide to graduate, that I think this one goes to Ohio State. So, I mean, like you said, definitely uh, on paper, I think it's a hard game to kind of to, to pick. Um, I'm riding with the hot hand, though. I know um, Ohio State's been doing well lately, um, but Wisconsin's had a, a very nice stretch here. Um, obviously, I think their, their biggest win uh, would be about a week and a half ago against Houston. Um, but they've just been slowly rolling along. Um, obviously, they've, they've got a game tomorrow against Indiana before they get to Ohio State. But, um, you know, Wisconsin, I, you know, from what I understand, is a very good, solid defensive team and typically plays hard in the paint. So I like that. I like the hot streak. Um, probably a little ramped up for some Big Ten play. So going with Wisco Disco, stealing your line. <laughs> I, I will say that Wisconsin as a university is pretty consistent between their football team and their basketball team. I obviously don't know about the rest of their sports. But, mm. you know, their football team is kind of a ground and pound sort of team. And the basketball team kind of gives you the same feel. They're just very, very – I almost I – w- I do want to say blue collar about it, but it almost feels like they're their own brand of blue collar. So whether it's the football team or the basketball team, you just kind of always know what you're getting with them. So Ohio not State, flashy, tough yeah. in the trenches, tough in the paint. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Ohio State, by comparison, has that sort of flashiness feel to them. Uh, their basketball team, I don't think is ever as flashy as the football team, but also the football team win that wins national titles. But, you know, they, they do have the ability to be, I'd say both blue collar and a bit flashy because, you know, go back a few years to when Aaron Kraft was running the show around there. I mean, he was it to how they stereotype like every single good white player. He's just, you know, super gritty and sneaky quick and things like that. You know, like all the phrases that they used to say like, oh, hey, this white guy is actually pretty good. We just don't know how to describe it because, you know, we don't have any creativity to what we say. Uh, but yeah, so. You'll go with uh, Wisconsin. I'll go with Ohio State. Uh, moving on to the next one. This one is, in my opinion, super interesting. It is Arkansas going to Oklahoma. Arkansas has, you know, every transfer under the sun, as I know we've talked about before. They're a good team. Very good team. Still wondering about their chemistry a little bit. But also by comparison, Oklahoma, who has had a good start to the season, albeit hasn't really played the toughest of competition across the board. Porter Moser, who was notably before the head coach of Loyola Chicago when they made their final four run, as well as last year, he's the head coach there. And he seems to be kind of picking up where Lon Kruger left things because while Lon Kruger wasn't a national title coach, he was still a good coach, solid. I'd say a better Rick Barnes. Now, granted, I hate Rick Barnes, but a better Rick Barnes. So I think that Porter Moser could be the kind of coach to take a program that has more resources available to it, like in Oklahoma, as opposed to a Loyola Chicago. And he's got Chicago ties because of Loyola. He's got, you know, the bevy of players he can pull from there. Texas, you know, is right down the street. They always produce a ton of talent. 
And I think that he could get that program to be a top tier team and very potentially challenge Kansas as the top program in the big 12 and not just like year in year out, but like consistently because last year, Kansas had a down year, but they seem to be back this year. And Baylor is the kind of school that I don't think can just keep pace with them the way that they did last year. I think that title is going to be a one-off. They'll still be a very good team, just not national title level. And I think Oklahoma is just better suited to be that team. So this one is, you know, just crazy levels of interest to me. I'm picking Arkansas to win this game just because I think they're a bit more talented right now. And I don't know. I know you only pay so much attention to college basketball. I don't know if you're picking Arkansas because I picked them or because you got a special reason. So what you got for me? So I'm going to read off a list of teams here. Mercer, Gardner-Webb, Northern Iowa, Kansas State, Cincinnati, Penn, Central Arkansas, Little Rock, and currently Charlotte. Yes, I realize that is Oklahoma's schedule. Arkansas schedule. Wait, really? Yeah, so... Ar- oh, wait, did, did Oklahoma play UNI too? I got to look this up while you're talking. So Arkansas has yet to really play a good team. I know, obviously, it's hard to say basketball day-to-day. Um, but I would imagine that they're trying to, like, kind of stamp themselves. They want to first, uh, you know, I know it's not football but you know uh foreshadowing some sec wins here um you've talked you've hyped them up with a lot of transfers they've been playing very well lately um they're up right now by 10 at the half over charlotte so yeah i mean going going with arkansas they're a good team um also the fact that oregon beat or yeah not oregon oklahoma beat florida that's one of the reasons why i thought it would be a good game at the same time, they did lose to Utah State all the way in South Carolina, but they lost them by three. Uh, I know Arkansas hasn't played anybody, but I think last year, even though it's a completely new roster, Eric Musselman's just that dude. So, or at least <laughs> as much of that dude as a coach can be. Right. Uh, now, another game that I think that on the surface won't look good because one of the teams is St. Bonaventure and UConn isn't the UConn of old, but St. Bonaventure was far and away the favorite to win the Atlantic 10 this season. And I had a good chance to watch UConn when they were down playing in the battle for Atlantis. And that team was crazy impressive. So I think that I don't, I don't think it was really tough for me to pick UConn to win this game, by the way, I'm taking UConn to win this game, (laughs) but I don't think it was particularly tough for me to pick that. But I think that St. Bonaventure is that kind of um, mid-level team or mid-conference team that has a chance to pull an upset like this off. And also because that, that they have that sort of quality to them, I think that this is another game where UConn can prove that they're for real. They were tough. They were athletic. They controlled the boards. They got up and down the court. They were like everything that I remember from the UConn of old, just without Jim Calhoun on the sideline. So I picked this game thinking that there's a chance St. Bonaventure wins, which made it intriguing enough for me. But I think UConn's going to start to, you know, really hammer down. They are a really, really good team this year, not to be taken lightly. Yeah, I mean, so just looking at St. Bonaventure and, you know, their schedule and who they've beaten and who they've lost to, they are definitely like a a very up and down team. And they, I mean, they have some quality wins, um, but as a whole, 
they have a relatively easy schedule. And I know that has to do with the division that they play in or the conference that they play in, but um, I'm going UConn here just because of exactly what you said. Uh, St. Bonaventure is kind of like a pesky little brother type of vibe. Um, and, you know, UConn definitely trying to like solidify themselves. And this would be not, you know, the highest quality win, but would definitely be like, this is a team that on paper UConn should be able to put away. Prove it. Yeah, no. And truthfully, I think that they will. I'm just curious to see how it plays out. Uh, so the last game that we'll be picking is going to be Houston against Alabama. And I think much like the NHL, I think this is the like marquee matchup of the weekend for college basketball. Last year, Alabama was very much a Final Four type of team, and they're bringing it back again this year. Houston was an actual Final Four team last year, but they also, you know, they of the four teams who made it to the Final Four, Baylor, Gonzaga, UCLA, and Houston, they faced what many consider to be the weakest of the four brackets to get there. So, and also the fact that Baylor just absolutely trounced them kind of made people think that Houston wasn't for real. Uh, it is unfortunate that this year in their conference, Memphis looks like an absolute clown show and they were supposed to be really good. They've got a ton of talent there, but they're basically running AAU ball, which is just not going to work in the college game. Uh, but we're talking about Houston here. Houston looks like they're going to run away with the American and they have, they have looked absolutely just dominating so far. Alabama also was shooting the lights out against Gonzaga. And they are a team that you either get great Alabama or you get stone cold Alabama. There is no in the middle with this team. They shot, I think, like over 43 pointers against Gonzaga. Nate Oates does not believe in the mid-range jumper. He he's basically tells his guys, don't take them. You either take layups or dunks or three-pointers. That is it. That is all. So if they go cold from three, Houston is the kind of team that can clamp down defensively. Kelvin Sampson is on one of the most underrated comeback tours of any college coach because he was caught up in a lot of controversy several years ago. Uh, otherwise, I think he could have very easily still been the coach of Oklahoma. He's really good. But a lot of controversy, got into a lot of trouble with the NCAA. He's back and doing it in a big way at a university that, as I've described before, has that level of want to, uh, whether it be football. I mean, granted, it's Houston. They're going to love their football, but also in basketball. So this game to me was tough to pick. And granted, Gonzaga early on this year doesn't look as good as they were last year. No shocker. They don't have Jalen Suggs anymore. But Alabama beat Gonzaga. Gonzaga is still a super, super good team. I don't think Houston's really had much of a chance to, like, prove themselves. I think this in alone or this game alone is their kind of prove it game for them. And I just think that early on this year, I think that this is the kind of game that Alabama is going to take it. And they're, they're either going to shoot the lights out or get crushed almost in a similar fashion to what Houston did to Bryant, where they won 111 to 44. Uh, yeah. That said, um, they did have one prove a game earlier this year as I'm taking a look at their schedule. They lost to Wisconsin by two. So take that into account. The rest of their schedule is eh, unimpressive at best. So yeah, for that reason alone, I'm going to take Alabama. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, doing some digging on this game, I uh, it definitely seems, as I almost dropped my phone, it definitely seems like this is like a low-key game of the week um, just because, like you said, the Final Four caliber caliber teams on both sides. Well, I did call it the the matchup of the weekends. No, so... I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm agreeing with you because on paper, <laughs> as, as a casual fan, this does not scream matchup of the weekend. But doing a little bit of digging, obviously it does. Um, Houston's defense stacked. Um, you know, like like you said, they can definitely clamp down. And for that reason, I'm going with them because it's hard to bet with the hot hand. You know, Bama when they're hitting threes. You know, what is it? The three three early and often approach, where if they're firing away and they're 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 going, they're going to blow them out. But they're, it's they're hard. the Steve Spurrier of college basketball right now, where they are just fun and gun. It doesn't matter how many threes you miss, just keep jacking them up. Right. And I mean, and that to me, I would take solid defense over that any day of the week. So that that being said, I don't make much of a note of it because their offense gets the attention. But Alabama does also play really good defense. They are not to be trifled with there. Well, this is why it's the game of the week. It seems like <laughs> the, the the two the two teams stack up very well against themselves, kind of like the Florida Colorado game, Avs game we were talking about a few minutes ago, where it is kind of an even push and like let's see, push comes to shove, which which style wins. So, yeah. One quick last note to kind of cap this off, Alabama. It's not cool that you're this good at football and basketball. Chill out, guys. Just chill out. So that's going to do it for us uh, this week on the Average Sean podcast. Uh, I will also make a note, especially with football season or at least college football season kind of winding down, getting into bowl season. I haven't been the best at putting up lines and by the best. I mean, I just haven't been putting up the full lines for NHL games and for college basketball games on the weekend because I'm usually kind of caught up in other things or just caught up in watching college football games. So I'm going to, you know, Purposefully try to make a note of doing it this weekend as well as weekends moving forward to keep an eye on uh, the sports books to get the lines for these games. Uh, keep an eye on the average on media, Twitter, uh, the Instagram, and maybe even the Facebook as well. If I, if I post it there, I'm going to try to get these lines out. Uh, see, you know, Chris, if you got the time, I'll reach out to you. Uh, this is me doing some planning while recording great podcasting, uh, but you know, get your picks as well. So that way, anyone who listens to this, who is curious to see, you know, what would we do with the spread? What would we do with the over under, you know, basketball and hockey are much different from uh, from football in this regard. Keep track of those. Keep up with us. Uh, I'm going to try to push out as much of that content as I can. Thanks again for listening, guys. And we will see you next time.